Welcome to Fully Covered, sponsored by Grant Thornton, leading providers in audit, tax and advisory services. Hi, everybody. Today, I am delighted to announce that my guest is Declan O'Rourke, the CEO of Aviva General Insurance in Ireland. So Declan started his career as an accountant with PwC. And then prior to working at Aviva, he successfully led AIG in Ireland as general manager from 2012 to 2020, during which time he delivered strong growth and profitability. Key achievements at AIG include leading a team that launched a D2C business, building consumer brand awareness from virtually nil to over 80%. He sponsored Dublin GEA ladies and men's teams, launched the first telematics product in AIG globally and acquired the second largest health insurer in Ireland, Lea Healthcare. So Declan, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with me today. Thank you, Emma. You joined Aviva as CEO in September 2020. So how's it all going? It's going well so far, uh, two and a half years in at this stage. So uh, it's a tough market, but I think we've we've managed to do okay in that. We're growing the business, the top line and the bottom line, um, which is a, a key focus and uh, doing some big transformations in digital and um, some of our back office systems that are very important. And can you tell me a little bit about Aviva itself? What are the core lines of business? Yeah, so uh, the general insurance business in Ireland is about 500 million. It's roughly half commercial and half personal insurance. Personal insurance is your typical uh, products that are sold to individuals like car, home, travel. And on the commercial side, it's generally um, products sold to companies and charities and and things like that, all all the way from very large corporates all the way down to very small small companies. And that's typically the lines are property, liability, public liability, employer's liability, fleet, financial lines, we do agri in there as well, um, and, and engineering and uh, some other lines as well, some smaller lines. And have there been any specific lines that you've been growing significantly over the last couple of years? Yeah, we, we, we launched financial lines uh, in the last couple of years, which was a, a line that Aviva in Ireland hadn't done before. So that's really within that line, you have products like directors and officers. So if a director is sued for mismanagement, something like that, you have professional negligence, PI, um, cyber insurance, uh, crime insurance, uh, employment, liabil- employment employment practices liability. So that's gone pretty well. It's uh, went from, from zero to, to a sizable book, our third largest book um, in two years. And is that SME type business? Every, everything really from directors of large corporates in Ireland, uh, all uh, law firms, accountancy firms, all the way down through to um, PI for construction uh, or directors and officers for small companies as well. So it's a, a selection of different kind of business in there. Very good. And how many staff or what's the staff numbers at the moment? So we've 800 people in the GI business based in Dublin, Cork, Galway and Ballyconnell. Ah, Ballyconnell. Yeah. Interesting. Have you many in Ballyconnell? We, we actually, uh, a team became available in, in, in Ballyconnell just over a year ago um, of experts in the SME space where we had a gap and um, uh, Sharon Slack and her team joined us. Uh, I think we, they became when we heard they were available. I think they were on the payroll within a month and a half. <laughs> and they've been a brilliant team, and they're expanding out and uh, hiring apprentices up there. And it's 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 becoming a, a nice part now of Aviva in Ireland. And how has Aviva in Ireland been performing over the last couple of years? 
Yeah, I think look, we've been growing by, by single digits, um, which is which is good. Our profit is we 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 had uh, an underwriting margin of just under five percent this year or last year. You know, we're happy with that. Generally, the previous year it was eight percent margin, but we had COVID, so a lot of cars weren't on the move, so it, it benefited us. You know, I think typically insurers aim when you add up all the costs. If you make a 5% margin on top of that, uh, you're usually pretty happy. And that's where we've been. And what's the the key driver, I suppose, of the performance? I would say two years ago, probably COVID was the key driver in, in, in terms of the 8%. But uh, in terms of the 5%, um, I would say it was commercial lines in the last year. Um, personal lines has gone through a difficult time. Um, you know, we're probably at the lowest premium for car insurance since 2016 the lowest average premium um, and that's that's that makes it very difficult to make money home insurance we've also had huge problems with inflation we've had them as well with uh, with car insurance so so that whole personal lines piece is is, is a difficult space at the moment um, commercial lines still you know has continued to harden over the last number of years um, you know for good reason in a, in a lot of cases um, but, um, you know, some of our new lines, some of our more high margin lines have done well for us and uh, and have driven that margin for us. And you, you publicly mentioned recently that, you know, Aviva was passing on the price reductions, particularly on the motor side. And obviously there's been a huge amount happening there in terms of the personal injury guidelines and reforms in that space. What is your take on on those reforms and the impact they've had? Yeah, Look, I think I think the first thing I think the government have been working very hard on this for a long time. You know, they they the change has been dramatic in in the area with uh, you know all the way through from you know ministers Murphy and Darcy and all the way Fleming and all the way through their recent minister. So uh, and I think that the they want change and they want this to get better. So um, so they've done the right things and I think Piab have done the right things as well as much as they can. So I think everyone is trying, um, but unfortunately, when you step back from it and you look at the objectives of the change, the objectives were, were that, you know, injury awards for low level injuries would be comparable comparable to the UK and Europe. That hasn't really happened. Um, if you step back, actually, we think our, if you look at a minor injury, whiplash injury now, uh, when Justice Kearns did his analysis, it was 4.4 times higher in the UK. We calculate it's now 5.5 times higher in Ireland than the UK. They call themselves the whiplash capital of the world. <laughs> they have no idea. Um, so in terms of those awards for low injuries, we still have a lot to do. Legal fees are still, you know, uh, incredible. Um, you know, when something comes out of PIAB, you're talking about 16 grand versus zero in PIAB. Uh, you know, we have more lawyers per head than any country in Europe, uh, double the average. You know, there's, a, there's a, an enormous amount of litigation for very minor injuries. When you think of why PIAB was set up in the first place, it was set up to take the lawyers out of minor injuries. And now more than 95% of cases in PIAB have legal representation. If you step back and say, you know, the judges have set the awards, there's an independent body, state body, deciding to make the awards, which is PIAB, um, you would think that, you know, in virtually every case, the, the awards set, the, 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 the menu of awards set by the judges would be, would be uh, awarded and would be accepted. And they're accepted by insurers in virtually every case. But now 
60% of those awards are, are not accepted or uh, by um, by the plaintiffs. So you've more litigation than even before all of these changes. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really eroding all the benefits of all the hard work done by everybody. So, um, you know, it's really important that PIAB, the powers of PIAB are strengthened. You know, there's no reason why if a judge makes a, a and, you know, may, decides that the number for whiplash is three grand or six grand or whatever. Piab put three grand, six grand. And then, you know, a year and a half later, you're in court. The case is totally different. You know, the plaintiff has psychological damage, chronic pain, you name it. It's all added on after Piab. Um, you know, the award, the, the injury is longer. Um, and suddenly the judge has actually seen a totally different case to what, what Piab saw. Um, and, you know, while that continues, you know, the rejection rate will continue and, and, you know, and if you follow the money, if a lawyer's getting 16 grand to do that versus nothing to, to settle in PIAP, it's, you know, there's no incentive. So it's in a difficult place still. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. It's it's disappointing to hear that because I suppose the, the book of quantum, you know, it had lost it had lost its way and it was up on the top shelf and it, it hadn't been dusted down and it wasn't really being used at all, it seems. But there was definitely a great opportunity here. And, you know, the the awards, it, as part of all that good work that was done, there's a super opportunity to, to try and streamline it and try and bring us in line with other jurisdictions. So I suppose, like, what else can be done like the data, we are seeing some data now because some time has passed. So you, you can see in some cases, you know, there there have been improvements. But what, what types of, of injuries or what level of injury are we seeing the most issues with? It's that it's that low level, low, right. low level injury uh, still. You know, we, we still have a lot more of that than other jurisdictions. Um, I think, look, I, I, I think there are things that can be done. I think there needs to be a cut off in the case at some stage. You can't keep building a case um, you know we need to strengthen the powers of PIAB they need you know they're looking at some kind of a mediation uh, piece in PIAB as well which I think is important once it doesn't end up being another step because you know the idea of PIAB was that there'd be no lawyers and it would be settled but now you go through the PIAB step with a lawyer then you go out to the courts with a lawyer then you might go to an appeal with a lawyer and you know it's tugging up the time of courts and you know doctors and you know these are straightforward injuries that are done on a you know on a, on a portal in the UK um, you know you get your 500 quid or whatever in the UK you know by, by filling in the information on a portal so you know there's 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 a lot to be done there still um, and look there's been a lot done don't get me wrong and, and people are trying to do their best but it, but there's more to be done. So that that's obviously one of the the key drivers of performance across all all insurers. I'm sure in Ireland, um, another area you just mentioned was inflation, and I suppose we've we've gone through a significant high inflationary period, and and still are in 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 that phase as well. Although you can see it moderating a little bit, um, how has that impacted Aviva's portfolios? Well, well, if you if you look at say even motor insurance, which you know if you know. If you break down the cost of motor insurance, so we we add up all the costs and we put five percent on top. So, if inflation goes up, the cost goes up. If any of our you know awards go up, whatever goes up, we add it onto the price and make our five percent on it. So, so inflation at the moment for the last two years has been running at double digits uh, uh, both years. Uh, it's 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 become very significant. There was a time when if I was looking at a motor portfolio, I would look at 
you know, how much is injury costing us? What's happening with the injury number? I kind of almost ignored the damage number. Um, but I think in recent years with the cost of parts increasing dramatically, uh, the repair costs going up dramatically, I think people previously would have just fixed their car or they'd have known someone and they wouldn't have even sometimes even put it through insurance. That's not happening anymore. Um, so you're, you're seeing the damage number becoming very, very significant. And like, just to give you an idea, in the UK, typically the damage is more than the injury mm-hmm. because their injury is so low. And he, in Ireland, always the injury was by vast, the biggest part of the claim, of, of the, the costs. Um, but that's changing now. We're seeing more and more damage and we're starting to focus heavily on the damage now. And, you know, and your, your problem is you're writing a policy today that the crash might be, you know, next year or, you know, and, 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 and each time the inflation is, 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 is building up and that. So it's become a huge issue. Similarly in household, it's become a massive injury or a massive issue in terms of, uh, repair costs and even getting people to repair. So, so, a uh, huge, huge issue for the industry. And I suppose another, uh, key risk, and I know we're going to maybe mention risks in a little while, but, uh, just when you talk about kind of construction and, uh, the costs and, and, and things like that, recession, I suppose, is, is a key focus for insurers as well at the moment. I'm, I'm sure it's at the, the top of every risk register, uh, um, of, of insurers. What are your thoughts on that or how do you think that will impact Aviva? And I suppose particularly as you're maybe moving into some financial lines business where there, there would be be um, some exposure there. Yeah. The last, w- w- when the IMF came in, the financial lines portfolios were decimated in Ireland, in particular, you know, around the construction sector when it stopped. Uh, uh, solicitors PI, construction PI, uh, directors and officers, the whole suite. Uh, so so it's always a concern and, and it's, it's something that we're always looking at and assessing. Um, we're careful enough in terms of our exposure and how we how you know how we take exposure in the different areas, um, and we monitor all the time how the how the economy is moving. So um, yeah, it's a big issue for us. Touchwood, it's it's been going well here, uh, better than uh, neighbours, which is great. Very good. Um, does Aviva write any cyber? Yeah, we actually launched cyber in the last uh, few weeks, nice. so it's a um, really good product. I think. Um, there's a big need for it among companies in Ireland. They're looking for capacity. They're looking for the services as well, in particular when there's a cyber attack, all the forensics that come in, the legal support, data protection support. Yeah, so we're in that we're in that market now and we're looking forward to to writing some business there. What type of product is it? Or what ancillary service do you provide uh, with yeah. the product? Yeah, so say if there's a, a, a ransomware or something like that on your business, um, we would have a team of experts that would come in that would know how to deal with everything from, you know, the legal side, dealing with the guardie, dealing with the PR side, um, obviously the forensics to understand exactly what's happening to your technology. Um, and there's, a, there's kind of a, a, a team that come in and, and take care of, you know, as much as they can. Very good. And I, I know a couple of companies have, high profile companies have come out recently and, and said that you know, cyber is uninsurable. I suppose the systemic risk is so big. What What are your thoughts on that? Or? Yeah, again, you, you need to be very careful with your capacity on it, especially when you can see that, you know, a lot of companies use the same service providers, uh, in particular for the cloud and things like that. So if, if, if something systemic happened across that, you could get hit in, in numerous places. So you just need to be careful with your capacity and your reinsurance really and make sure that you're comfortable with the exposure you take. Absolutely. I suppose capacity, uh, it's a nice segue into capacity in the market. So 
Um, there are some capacity capacity constraints uh, in the Irish market at the moment. Um, can you tell me a little bit about about that and maybe how that's impacting Aviva or potentially if there are opportunities out there? Yeah, look, uh, uh, you can see it in prime time regularly enough where they've programs on you know certain types of areas, adventure parks, uh, you know, high risk areas that that struggle to find insurance. Um, you know, the, it, it's an area that we do more of now. We've done more in the last number of years and we do adventure parks. I was actually just looking at one yesterday, um, you know, that does zip lining and kayaking and archery, you know, high, what we would consider high risk areas. Um, but I was actually just looking at the risk and, uh, and the irony is that if you look at the claims and there are multiple claims every year, they're typically, you know, a child falls on bark, someone trips walking down a laneway or something. They're not someone falls off a tree from zip lining. So I guess from an insurer's point of view, if you see three or four of those every year and, uh, you know, the, say even the average settlement is small, say it's 15 grand each, that's, you know, 45 grand. You add on the legal fees, which are usually more than 45 grand, you're up to 100 grand uh, plus. Um so, so what premium do you charge? You know, you have to pay your own costs as well, your distribution costs and everything else. So, so your premium is probably 150 grand. And, and the, the adventure centre owner is saying, oh my God, I'm paying 150 grand. I've only had three small slips. But, but the three small slips, when you add up the legal costs and the costs of the awards are, are enormous. So, and you haven't even funded the guy who falls off the tree yet. And, and every now and then, a guy will fall off the tree and end up, and end up needing lifelong care. And uh, an example, we had one case last year where a guy fell off a mountain, needed lifelong care. We had a claim that we settled for over five million. It doesn't matter how many mountaineering organizations you have in Ireland. They can't fund that. So the the kind of the fundamentals of insurance, the premium of many pay for the claims of the few is broken down. Um, And unfortunately, you know, areas are suffering for that. And in particular areas that have multiple small claims. So, look, the owner occupiers should ho- hopefully help some of that. Um, you know, but but there is an attitude change needed um, uh, and, the, and the cost burden. So if you take those three claims that the Adventure Park has every year, if, if, if that was, you know, five grand given to the claimant without all of the other fees around it, like it would be in the UK, it would probably be less than five grand, probably about 500 euros. Mm-hmm. Um, Suddenly, your claims for that guy is fifteen hundred a year, and then you don't have to charge one hundred and fifty grand premium. So, so it, it all comes back to we're trying to you know we're trying to make a margin of five percent in our business. We are keen to write business we think can make money. We're not you know sitting on our hands going oh we could make money over there. We're not going to bother. That's yeah. not insurers don't think like mm-hmm. that. So uh, and we're not looking for astronomical profits because you know, that's not sustainable. Our shareholders don't want jumpy profits up and down. They want consistent, um, they're happy, as I say, with five or six percent. That's that's all they want. So um, so it's a difficult, it's a, it's a difficult position. And I, for those businesses, I, f- I feel bad for those businesses. But, but until the fundamental problems of the litigious market are, are dealt with and the, and the enormous costs of, 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 for minor injuries, um, you know, unfortunately, those those people will continue to struggle. And realistically, those those fundamental problems, you know, that's that's not a short term fix. That's going to take a long time. So, I mean, are, is it going to be 
harder to get insurance, you know, for the next few years for those people. Like it's it's hard to see how things will get easier. Yeah, the, the owner occupiers is, is important, but but also I think um, you know the 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 changes that have been made already. You know, the sixty percent rejection rate in PIAB adds sixteen grand to every case. You know, we, that has to be dealt with. You know that. You know wh- while that continues, while you get wh- while the the costs of minor claims are so high, and, and whatever about the awards, you know the awards are still five point five times higher in the UK, but the, the legal costs are enormously higher. So, um, so really, they need to just the government. I think needs to keep going at uh, a lot. You know, my fear a little bit is when car insurance was so high in two thousand sixteen, it was a political issue. You know, people were out saying, oh, insurance is a disgrace, blah, blah, you know, uh, and and it, it kind of forced government to act. Um, and they had been acting, to be fair, before that. Um, but now that car insurance is 40% below rates in 2016, you know, the kind of the public are not as outraged. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a good point. And I've mentioned in uh, previous podcasts, I about the reputation of the uh, insurance market in Ireland. It does have a bad reputation still and there's a huge amount done. And, and as you say, for example, market you know, or for motor prices have come down significantly. Um, but I suppose what are the key drivers of that bad reputation? Yeah, I, d- I don't think we help ourselves here. You know, um, Aviva pays out hundreds of millions in claims every year, you know, when people you know, get sick, get injured, have an accident, there's a natural disaster, there's a fire, you know, big moments in people's lives. The insurance company comes in and 99 times out of 100 takes care of the customer. And and that's that's huge. You know, it, it, the insurance industry, when I look at our, our, our teams, we've surveyors going out making, making um, companies safe. You know, we do thousands of surveys a year. We look at 90,000 pieces of plant and equipment every year to make sure they're safe. You know, cherry pickers, forklifts, things like that. This is really important for for the safety of people in the country. You know, we discourage people from, from you know, smoking by charging more in life insurance or by driving poorly and have penalty points. You know, you get charged more. So there's a huge public safety element there. Then there's the, 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 the if you look at, you know, you can't buy a house without insurance. You can't export goods. You know, if you look at business, you know, the things that people do every day, insurance is a critical part of all of that. That's all lost. All you hear about is, you know, populist people standing up shouting, you know, this is a disgrace. It's a cartel. It's, a, you know, gouging and all, you know, and it's easy for them to do it. Uh, but actually, they don't sit down and, and, and try to understand you know what's really driving what's really driving the industry. So, um, so I agree with you. We're an easy target, and we're not in a good place. We should be in a much better place. And I think it's up to ourselves to to stand up for ourselves. And I'm seeing a little bit more of that recently. Yeah, there's definitely a great story to tell. I think, and COVID is a very it's like it's a great example of how the insurance industry did, you know, keep a lot of businesses going. And with, without it, a lot of them wouldn't be here today. So. I think it, there's definitely something around the PR side, isn't there? It's about getting that good story out. Um, but yeah, but, but the fear the fear is then that the, the youngsters out there today, you know, don't come and join the industry and we end up having weaker people in the industry. And, you know, there's apprentice courses, there's lots of ways to get it. This is a fabulous industry. You know, it's about, you know, you know, you look at it, you look at people say, oh, a professional gambler, what a job, you know, wouldn't that be great? You know, when you look at the insurance industry, you're taking risk every day, you're calculating the risk. It's 
very interesting across lots of different parts of, of, of the economy. Um, you know, I think for any youngster, it, it, it's as interesting a, a, a job as you could do. But uh, but unfortunately, that's lost. Yeah, no, and it attracts such a diverse range of people. You know, it's it's uh, and there's such scope in terms of a career. You can move from, you know, underwriting to claims, actuarial to, you know, uh, regulation. There's just so many areas that you can go into. So yeah, it's it's definitely an industry that uh, probably just needs a little bit more work in terms of uh, selling it better, particularly to young people. I, I absolutely agree. If we talk a little bit about Aviva and culture and the way it works and, and things like that. Um, so most companies have moved to a hybrid model. What approach has, ta- has COVID taken or has Aviva taken, sorry, in relation to working from home? Yeah, well, look, Aviva always had flexible working. And even even before COVID, we'd moved to about 60 percent. We could we could accommodate 60 percent of the team if they're in at any time. So 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 people were working from home even before. But definitely COVID accelerated, uh, accelerated that. Um, and, and you know, we, we've maintained the hybrid now where we're doing three and two. Uh, you know, and I think that's working for a lot of people, still flexible within the three and two. But uh, people need to be in the office two days a week. So uh, and that's working really well at the moment. You know, our, if you look at our KPIs around our NPS and our co- we're very happy customers, more than 90% of our customers are, are very happy with us. The phone is answered immediately. You know, the, the feedback on the our team is really excellent across all of our all of our channels. Our claims are handled really, really well. Um, so so if you look at the, our new business is good. So if you look at the KPIs, you know, some of the KPIs were even better when we were off during COVID, which is remarkable when you think of it. So um, so but the hybrid, I think, is definitely working better for people. They're really happy to be back. Um, we're getting a little bit of uh, th- that kind of atmosphere as well. Um, unfortunately, it, it, it's rarely Monday and Friday, but uh, but look, we, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, the place is very busy. Yeah, Thursday seems to be the new Friday, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it probably helped, I suppose, that Aviva then were, were flexible prior to COVID because it was a, a less difficult transition. Do you have anchor days or how, how do your teams kind of manage that? Yeah, so, so we actually hold it, we have a diary so uh, we can see, so if you're say in finance and you're supporting the commercial team, you can look at the diary and see what days they're in. So they're all, so they have, everyone has kind of um, their own charter on who they're in and then there's kind of an overall charter to keep an eye on. So if you if you want to meet someone, you know what day they'll be in. And if we talk a little bit about the culture within Aviva, so you you came from AIG, you were there for for a, a number of years. How did you approach that culture element, uh, particularly as CEO, and trying to drive and you know cultivate a um, and a, you know the Aviva culture? I, I guess look, AIG is a, is a is a big global company with offices in every con- you know in, in a lot of countries around the world centralized quite a lot into into New York. In Europe, its headquarters is in Luxembourg. Previously, it was an, an entity here in Ireland, but it became a, a branch of Luxembourg. So so it's it's kind of, uh, you know, a different model to, uh, you know, the Aviva model, which is a high impact firm in Ireland with its own board and, and, and group structure. So 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 you're you'd expect differences, a lot of the governance that would be um, in Ireland as as a legal entity would be in Luxembourg for um, for for AIG. So so very different in that way. I think um, you know much more regulatory in, involvement. Um, you know much more obviously a bo- much more board involvement. So uh, so I think probably managing the stakeholders became a much bigger uh, thing. Uh, you know whereas I think 
you're probably when you're in a branch, you're freer to focus on, say, stakeholders like customers, brokers, employees. When you move into a, a high impact firm, you can add on, uh, you know, regulator board, um, you know, group to a certain extent as well. So, so very different. Um, and uh, and look, it's 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 just it's it's different, and uh, you just kind of. Um, get to understand it and 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 uh, try and be as effective as you can in in either scenario. And you mentioned Aviva is a high impact firm, um, and on the back of that, obviously, there's a lot of regulatory engagement. So, what are your thoughts on on the regulatory environment in Ireland? Yeah, look, look, it's a very strong uh, regulatory environment. Um, uh, you know, the regulator does as good a job as they can. Um, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of being the best regulator they can be, um, and uh, and I think they're they're pretty effective at that. Okay, so I know we've already mentioned, I suppose, some of the the ways I suppose that you've cultivated that culture. But from a CEO position, what do you think are the the core skills that you need to to be CEO? Okay, uh, well, <laughs> stakeholder management. I think we mentioned before, and that's that's very important because of. Uh, if 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 you if you're not in the right space with any of your stakeholders, you're in difficulty, and that's all the way customers, employees, as we said, the board, the uh, group, um, you know, all the way through, really, uh, the regulator as well. Um, but I think I, I think stepping back, if you're to say, you know, what's expected of a CEO? Typically, they're expected to grow the business and grow the profits. Um, so you need to understand the business first of all to do that very well. Uh, you need to understand the products. You need to understand the distribution. Um, you need to understand what are high value products, where you can make money. You need to understand the distribution, where where you can where you can make money. So so that whole understanding of the business, I think, is critical to that. And I think look, uh, setting your prioritizing or prioritizing, you know, what your key uh, areas are. Say, for example, digitalization, um, and then staying on top of it. So you need to be on it all the time once you're once you've decided what the key three or four things are you need to ensure that they're done so um and it's important that you're seen to be on those all the time as well as being on them so um um and uh and and not be afraid you know to make a big step change either you know we, we you know we've uh you know some old technologies that need to be replaced um you know the easy thing is to kind of plot along um, it's not the right thing, so you need to be able to take that risk. So it was a risk with uh, with big technology projects, and 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 overall, then when you look back later, you'll be happy you've made things better. And you mentioned digital transformation, so um, you know a lot of companies, particularly in the back of COVID, you know they have been reviewing their strategies and uh, investing a huge amount of money uh, in in that space. So what areas are are you guys um, you know focusing on in terms of Digitalization. Yeah, we've actually uh, we're launching this this week a new direct uh, platform. Um, so that that really takes the digitization journey from forty percent for our customers to eighty percent. And our customers are telling us they want more digital journeys. So um, you know everything from adding someone to your car, you go in and you're getting a you're going into the garage to get your car repaired or whatever. People want to do that digitally now. They don't want to be calling up you know, press one for this, press two for that. You know, people are more impatient. They want to renew automatically any kind of midterm adjustments they want to be done. So so, so we're launching that this, this week now so that we're really excited about that um, and that will help our customers a lot. So um, we've also uh, a new technology platform 
for our commercial business and a number of new products going on to that. So that's pretty exciting as well. Um, but, you know, for a lot of companies like ourselves, it's the back end systems that are probably the core systems that are usually old um, and, uh, and, and an area for focus for us as well. I think every every company, particularly large company, has some back end uh, legacy systems yeah. that uh, you know they'd like to to bring up to modern standards. If we maybe just look at the future and uh, the future of Aviva, so I suppose what's the the five year plan for Aviva? <laughs> yeah, there's a, we've an optimistic one and a, and a realistic <laughs> one. Um, look, we continue. You know, we we as we'd be happy with single digit growth. Ideally, high single-digit growth, uh, uh, a five or six percent underwriting margin uh, through that period. Continue to serve our customers wonderfully as we do. Continue to grow our products and distribution. Get our digital story correct, um, and really just just push on the business in the, in the, in those ways. And I suppose if we just um, maybe finish up on the threats to that, or I suppose maybe the emerging risks in the market generally. We probably mentioned a couple of them already, but what blockers do you see there to that? Look, if you're if you're in this market long enough, you've seen, uh, you know, there's a graveyard full of insurers here, you know, and not just, you know, the ones that you'd have heard of, the Quinn and the Satantas, but, you know, there's a whole heap of insurers that came in and left. Um, it's a tough market. It's a small market. Um, all the major insurers are here already. So I think in terms of personal lines, I think the risk is... New entrants, you'd probably say I would say this, but but new entrants who underprice business um, a little bit like Wynn did in the past and end up, you know, causing all kinds of problems for other insurance companies, but also leaving the taxpayer with a billion euro debt as Quinn did. Because really for a new competitor to come in, they have to charge less and our premiums are at, at some of the lowest levels ever. So... So that's uh, that's that's one uh, one aspect. I think I think we do need more insurers on the on the commercial side, though, in in particular in the you know the the kind of risks I talked to you earlier about the mountaineering and things like that, where maybe with a bigger book of European risks they can uh, make the premium of money pay for the claims that if you work because because it's very hard to get that, to do that here with certain with certain areas. So. Um, so that's it. I think, um, you know, I think insurance reform, inflation, as we talked about, um, you know, and uh, and that kind of naive competition would be the ones I'd be most worried about. Has the broker uh, consolidation that's been happening uh, recently, has that had any impact? Yeah, look, uh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing uh, the most dramatic change in the broker industry ever in Ireland. And it happened very, very quickly, uh, you know, with... Uh, a small few groups now um, controlling the vast majority of the market. So um, we're seeing we're seeing different things from it. We're seeing we're seeing some innovation. We're seeing uh, some clubbing together of of business that suits us. Um, so overall, it's been it's it's you know we haven't seen anything negative from it so far. Great. Well, that's it from me today, Declan. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and best of luck in all your future endeavors. Thank you, Emma. Mm-hmm.